Hey, howdy. Henry here for another episode of Growing Upwards with Vertical Farming, where I explore the untamed jungles of vertical farming. Today, I'd like to go over and rectify some of the hasty generalizations made about farming. It's such a complex subject that the simple view in society's mind's eye really just won't do. So, just like before we can jump into the dangerous jungles of vertical farming, we first have to do some prep work for our expedition. So today, I'd like to answer what is farming. To do so, I'd like to go over the history of farming, what modern farms look like on an industrial scale, what some of the smaller farms look like today, some essential elements of farming, as well as what types of farming there are, just so everyone gets a good background knowledge of what farming actually is, especially in the modern day, with some added historical context, of course. Farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil, and you're thousands of miles from the cornfield. A quote from President Dwight D. Eisenhower. So, let's look at what is farming. First and foremost, farming truly is the future that's sown by our ancestors. A historical context of current events make it painful to those who are anywhere decent at identifying patterns. Farming is a quintessential model of inequality, where a hierarchy of nature and man fight to extract diminishing resources. Fundamentally, farming is both the transferring and the transformation of energy into more and more useful forms. Thematically, farming is mankind's first injection into the natural cycle of birth and transformation. Historically, farming marks the transformation from a nomadic race to a planetary transforming species. It's funny to think of it from nature's perspective. The farming is the animal proactively propagating their young, as opposed to accidentally touching it or pooping it out somewhere else. The basics of farming involve prepping the nutrients, putting stuff into the nutrients, helping the right stuff grow, picking the stuff up, and making the stuff ready for eating. A concrete example would be tilling, putting the seeds in the earth, fertilizing and watering, pest and disease control, harvesting and cleaning and prepping. You don't need soil to grow, as soil is both a structure as well as a source of nutrients, also known as a medium. That's going to be an important word, especially as we look into vertical farming. Not everything grows from the traditional seeds either, such as the top of pineapples and the bodies of potato tubers that rely on germination on part of the existing plant. Not to mention grafting, which is the act of fusing a cut branch to an existing tree, common in apples, for instance. And actually, an odd bit of trivia here is that apples, for instance, are not seed agnostic or rather are seed agnostic, meaning that if you take an apple seed, like Johnny Apple did, and shove it into the ground, you may actually get a completely different species. Plant in a Red Delicious, you might get a Gala apple, um, because so many of our apple trees are in fact grafted onto existing trees. So, moving on. 
In the grand scheme of things, fertilizing and watering is fairly self-explanatory, but it comes with its own challenges of balance and quantity. The majority of modern agriculture relies on monoculture, growing a single crop in near-sterile environments, keeping out other species of any plant, bug, or otherwise. Industrially, this requires pesticides or genetically modifying the resistances of the crops. Though there are many organic farms that use alternatives while still being successful economically. While this is done on smaller farms as well, some smaller farms actually practice various versions of permaculture, the general concept that leverages plants and ecosystem diversity to ensure good yields and trading off, of course, the ability to do any type of scale industrial farming. Finally, harvesting and cleaning is the most labor-intensive and mechanically challenging part of farming. Though automation is prevalent for processing, harvesting remains a mixed bag e even till today. While you have some high-tech options when it comes to processing crops, like optical sorters that either puff air or gently paddle undesirable crops out of a stream, or industrial peelers that are also very satisfying to watch. I, having witnessed many of these um, optical sorters in my career, um, it, it's quite mesmerizing to just watch a stream of either uh, grains or apples or tomatoes just streaming down a conveyor only to be booped out of the stream uh, into some sort of reject bin. Now, for efficiency's sake, uh, they're not perfect, uh, so uh, these waste, these reject streams are often recycled back in, but the precision and the accuracy still far outweighs anything the human uh, eye can do, oh, or much less the speed. However, when it comes to harvesting of crops, especially fruits or picked crops, they're especially heavy in manual labor, even in today's highly technological workforce. U.S. farms have halved the number of manual farmers between 1965 and 1985, but since then it's remained largely stable. Much of the food we grow is just much too delicate for the robots of the last, I'd say, 20 years. Uh, and especially with them being not cheap enough or accurate enough to harvest with automation. All that, however, could change within the next few years, especially with the advent of powerful robots and artificial intelligence, as well as a lot of work going into the precision of motion of different types of robotics. This This type of... Uh, automation and programming will definitely help make automation, full automation, economically viable in the future. But for the time being, especially for the world at large, manual labor is still king. Obviously, science and technology helped maximize yields over long and short-term farming. There can't be an article, though, about farming without mentioning crop rotation. Crop rotation specifically is a way to ensure soil fertility by not farming all the nutrients out of the land. It's done by leaving cropland fallow, 
uh, or not used for planting, or growing plants that put the desired nutrients back into the soil. Great examples of this is actually, uh, even in some modern times, where they're able to reverse desertification in, I believe it's the Middle East, um, but really the practice has grown all around the world. Uh, just to use a small herd of goat or sheep and rotate them around using their natural fertilizer to help encourage growth, uh, firm up the soil to, or the sand at that point, to encourage water retention, and suddenly we, we're seeing deserts being recovered. However, that's, that's definitely not at a rate that uh, we're deforesting, but that's for another podcast. The next thing I'd like to go into is actually about the history of farming. So the earliest farming is, or any type of farming, not just uh, growing plants, it's really about the cultivation with the intention of harvesting life. All the way back to what's known as the Neolithic Revolution, roughly 10,000 years ago, we have the earliest thing archaeologists have found uh, that points to structured farm-based societies. Uh, this is an endeavor that probably took somewhere around 30,000 years to develop. If you imagine uh, a graph with 40,000 years, you'll probably see nothing for 30,000 years and then in the last 10,000 years, sharply rise up in terms of uh, harvest yields, technological capabilities, and land used for crops, intentional use of crops. By the way, that thing they discovered 30,000 years ago, or rather 40,000 years ago, was actually the first evidence of uh, mortar and pestle to ground uh, presumably some type of grain into uh, meal to make some type of flatbread. Now, once human beings started farming, farming and leisure uh, had sort of a tenuous relationship. Humans had a more dependable source that didn't run away from us for the most part, so you'd think our leisure time would naturally increase. Leisure time uh, being arguably one of the driving forces and progress of civilization uh, is uh, quite nice. I personally enjoy it very much, especially uh, when I'm not working. Though scientifically, some research finds that hunter-gatherer societies actually had more individual leisure time, which makes sense as the demand for food is usually what drives more agricultural yield, not vice versa. Uh, also, uh, foraging and hunting usually had more energy-dense uh, food sources that also contribute to other forms of evolutionary growth. But as we grew in population, the number of mouths to feed was definitely one of the driving forces of developing agriculture. Professional farmers singularly were able to provide food at economic scale as well as other commodities, let's say cotton, hemp, uh, milk, uh, so on and so forth. 
Society was thus able to trade either physical or symbolic values for their food. Keep in mind, the raising of animals for protein, other food sources, goods, and even some tools for more agriculture was absolutely necessary for independent farmers to stay afloat. The typical idea that a farmer only had one type of crop is really more of a modern concept. A lot of farms, even to today, need multiple sort of value streams. Uh, they need to have honey, they need to sell their eggs, they, their, their wife maybe make some baskets. Uh, the, think, uh, think more akin to an Amish community where they make chairs and they're rather industrious. Ultimately, though, the idealized model of Western society, you work to earn money to eat and live. Feed America, a nonprofit that's gotten a lot of attention lately from some high-profile donors, made a simple report called Food Insecurity in America. From that, if we assume you work a minimum wage job, no vacations because uh, you're poor, uh, you'd spend about 22% of your income on food. That 20% that 22% of your income, uh, plus a small quantity for any food prep or time to eat and get the food, means food takes up roughly 14 to 15% of your total available time in a year. That is, of course, assuming you're not eating healthily, negatively affecting your energy, concentration, health, your ability to work, uh, and many other things that come with not eating well. Granted, some low-income families are provided some basic foodstuffs or financial support. This is obviously not the reality all over the world, as some cannot even work for more food. Others are more comfortable uh, beyond, you know, all means. But the world today exists essentially at an agricultural surplus. The food insecure or food at risk bottom half of society fare even worse during times of agricultural shortages. It's essentially cliche that if a ruler treats the farmers poorly, they'll somehow get overthrown in some heroic revolution. Uh, this is uh, given real-life examples from let-them-eat-cake type of revolutions to even children cartoons. Historically, though, those that grow our food haven't fared too much better than the toiling masses who just trade value, uh, their money, uh, for their meals. Nearly all farmers, until much more recently, had to rely on a diverse income stream to earn a living. Obviously, there is a huge distinction from the individual farmer to farm owners, who own an economically significant amount of land and equipment, historically, other humans also. Modern farmers can run a farm the size of kingdoms of old with minimal amount of human labor, through mostly advances in tractor technology. Obviously, the biosciences and technology that prop up their ability to grow such quantities to harvest is also important. But the reality of small farmers even today, who are unable to buy into the technology, must rely on effective marketing, such as through community-supported agriculture, CSAs, that are functionally subscription models or partnering with niche restaurants to sell their goods. 
While these small farmers benefit from some of the science and readily available resources, they rely still on hard work and dedication to farm. Hard work and farming, uh, though synonymous, do not even guarantee equity in your work, much less success, any more today than it did as we were learning how to farm better. The demand for agricultural products necessitated more and faster innovation, better records, better science, and often the price is paid in literal human blood and sweat. This kind of brings us to the next part uh, of agricultural history, which is uh, the dark parts. So, in the most jarring example in my head at least, unless you've slept through history classes in America, the invention of the cotton gin actually worsened slavery. It wasn't uncommon for the sheer scale of labor required to uh, pre-planting, planting, maintenance, and harvest of agricultural products to marry human greed, uh, ultimately to father vast inequality. The first two examples that come to my mind are Western serfdom, where the lord rules over land, uh, or is granted land by the king, and their serfs uh, work the land and, and provide the food uh, to the nobility. And, of course, global slave trade. Even in modern times, though, farming is still deeply entrenched in conflict and human suffering. Uh, some may have even heard of the avocado and drug cartels in South America growing faster and faster and really propelled by the health food trends in mostly uh, the United States. These same people who are trying to escape the poppy fields or avocado farms often come as illegal immigrants into the United States, where they're subsequently exploited all over the country to harvest other healthy fruits and vegetables. Uh, those are just low-hanging fruit examples of the demand for agricultural goods coming at the expense of other humans' dignities, uh, much less the equity or quality of life. Thus, like any topic tied to this growth of civilization, farming has been a long-term investment with a few skeletons in the closet, or in, in the ground because it's fertilizing the crops. Anyway, driven by both profit, science, and occasionally altruistic motives, farming has progressed from a mortar and pestling some weeds to a complex supply chain of specialized machines and humans that cultivate what we eat. Yet, as much as changed in 40,000 years, we still have some of the hardest working among us, toiling in the dirt from dusk till dawn. Society as a whole has largely shown their approval of such systems through their ignorance and through spending their money. And while we should be critical of our past, we must be aware that often in one hand was a solution and the other was no choice. In the absence of government intervention and incumbent business model stagnation, it's kind of up to the most powerful entrepreneurial generation ever, with the most individual access to power, information, and even the means of production, to set the stage for the next agricultural revolution.
Hey, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, check out my website in the link below to read and listen to more about vertical farming. In the meantime, this has been Henry with Growing Upwards with Vertical Farming.